Amen. Glory to God. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for grace, grace that is greater than all our sin, marvelous, matchless grace that comes freely from you. Freely we have received grace. So let us live gracious, grace-filled lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, oh, it's good to sing about grace. All I know is what everybody knows, W.H. Auden wrote. All I know is what everybody knows. If there, when grace dances, I should dance. Thank you, choir, for helping us to see and remember and savor the greatness of God's grace, the grace that set us free. And I wonder, how do we relate to grace? I've been thinking this week about how we as Christians relate to sin. Sin has been in the news. It seems like sin is always in the news. If it's not in the popular news, it's certainly in the news of our lives. It's in our news And I wonder how we should relate to it. It was right before I I went under anesthesia on Monday. That was the day before Fat Tuesday. I guess we might call it Chubby Monday or something like that. And I couldn't help but notice that Amy, who was helping me, was festive in her look. And I thought, is she celebrating the fact that people are having surgery? She said, no, but tomorrow is Fat Tuesday. And I said, tell me about that. It was right when they were starting to tell me to count backward, you know, and, and Amy said, well, Fat Tuesday, as best I recall, Amy said, Fat Tuesday is a day in which we celebrate before Ash Wednesday when we start giving things up for God. And I said something that I thought was witty. You mean we live it up before we give it up. And she said something like that. And then I floated off into Never Never Land for about an hour, I suppose. And, um, and as I awakened this week, you know how you wake up thinking about what you went to sleep thinking about. And I was thinking, you know, that sort of sounds like knowing I'm going to go on a diet tomorrow and eating a whole bowl of Bluebell today. Now, don't get me wrong. Ice cream is not sin. Um, in fact, ice cream is good. But, but sin is not good. And there's no day on which I can sin because tomorrow I know that I'm not going to sin. If that makes sense to you, and I may be blowing this out of proportion, but my friends from Brazil, where we're going this summer, they tell me that Carnival, which is their celebration of Mardi Gras, can be a very dangerous time because it's a time when anything goes. And if you would believe it, even believers can get swept up in that in those days. We all know Romans chapter 7. I ran across it, I'm pretty sure, when I was a teenager reading through the Bible for the first time and came across that passage in verse 19 where he says, the good things I want to do, I don't do. And the bad things I don't want to do, I do. And that felt familiar to me at that point. I, maybe you, like me, the first time you heard that, so raise your hand. Say, That's the way I feel about sin. The, the things I don't want to do, I, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't do, but I would just point out to you as we, as we consider what we're going to do about sin, that Paul doesn't end the book of Romans with chapter seven. The good news is there is a, a chapter eight 
As I thought about what we're going to do about sin, I, I remember Dennis Swanberg's moment in church when he was a little boy. He tells this story about when he was a boy and the preacher got up there and asked the question very powerfully, what are we going to do about sin? And he thought maybe he should answer the pastor out loud. Just check out this clip and I think you'll get a sense of our dilemma with sin. Well, it's good for us to laugh at ourselves, I suppose. Um, and at the same time, I think the answer he comes up with is, what, what will God do about our sin? And Barney Fife has that one right. He will nip it in the bud. Let me show you in God's words, Romans chapter 7, verses 21 to 25, and then 8, 1 to 4. Coming to life is this six-week series as we come into... Um, Easter, I'm going to preach the book of Romans chapter 8 over these six weeks. Coming to life, forgiven and free. Let's stand together. Hear the word of the Lord. Romans chapter 7, verse 21. Paul says, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. You may be seated. Maybe you came to Christ as I did with the Roman road. I remember somebody sharing with me, for all have sinned and the wages of sin is death and God commends his love toward us and that while we were still sinners and if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. It it, it is a, a great sort of compendium of verses in the book of Romans to show us the way to experience salvation. But in our application of Paul's teaching on salvation, sometimes we stop with justification. We like the idea of being forgiven and free from the penalty of our sin. And a lot of times that's what we preachers preach and that's what we believe about God's plan of salvation, that he doesn't want us to experience the penalty of sin. But just using those verses from Romans 3 and 6 and 8, or excuse me, Romans 3 and 6 and 5 and 10 actually causes us to skip over this important chapter, chapter 8, if you say to me this morning, I, my life, my journey with God can be summed up in Paul's words in Romans chapter 7, the things I want to do I don't do and the things I don't want to do I do, then I am glad this morning to introduce you to chapter 8 of the book of Romans. The story doesn't end there. Paul says, I need to be delivered from that. He's very sad about that. And he says, I need to be delivered from it. And the good news, he says, is through Jesus Christ, I have been. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I wonder what no condemnation means in 2012 in the United States of America. I think for some it means nothing I do is wrong and nothing could be further from the truth. We do wrong every day. No, when Paul says there is now no condemnation, he's certainly not ratifying the mantra of our day which says, stop judging me. That's not not what he's saying. What he's saying is there surely was judgment on our sin and the sentence for our sin was death. But the good news is Jesus Christ paid our sentence in his body on the cross so that, listen to this, don't miss verse four, the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met 
in us. Now that's true already because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us. In other words, God counts us as righteous. He's satisfied to look on Jesus on the cross and forgive us of our sins. That's true. But that's not the end of the story. In fact, it gets better than that. Because what Christ did on the cross was not only set us free from the penalty of sin, but if we will receive it this morning, He set us free from the power of sin. And that may be more than we bargained for. Some of us might say, I'm happy just to be free from the penalty of sin. And then spiritual freedom means I can do whatever I want to do. But Paul says that road leads inevitably, inexorably to death. But there is a road that leads to life. And I want us to be sure that we're on that road this morning. The Apostle Paul says, Jesus Christ set us free from the power of sin and death. Let me show you what that means. It means that there was condemnation when he says, therefore there is now no condemnation. That word condemnation doesn't just mean the judgment of God. That that would be a simpler word in Greek. It means the sentence that is given after you have been judged guilty. And what he says is there is now no condemnation. But in chapter 7, he's talking about condemnation. In fact, if you go back to verses 7 through 11, what he, he does is sort of retell the story of Adam and Eve. And in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 to 11, he says there was a commandment, but the commandment was intended to bring me to life. Don't eat from the tree and you live. But sin, taking advantage of my weakness, co-opted the law in a way that made it sound good to sin. And so I was deceived. That's the word he uses. And, and when I partook of sin, it led to death. That was true for Adam and Eve. That's true for us. One of the problems with the law, he highlights in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 8, is that the law, as far as it went, was good because it showed us the difference between right and wrong. Still does that. The problem with it was the law was powerless unable to save us. Let me show you that. If you've read James Michener, his book, Hawaii, he tells about a missionary named Abner Hale who goes over to Hawaii and begins to try to teach the people the truth. And one of the things he says to them is that God has some laws. And one of the laws is no adultery. And I want us to start practicing that, he says to those who are following him there in Hawaii. And they say, well, what kind of adultery? And he says, what do you mean by that? And they say, well, in Hawaii, we have 23 different kinds of adultery. Now, I hope that doesn't make you curious, but, but they had 23 different kinds of adultery. And he, he said, if you just say, if you just say no adultery, our people will say, well, maybe they're talking about those other kinds of adultery, but not my kind of adultery. But if you list out all 23 kinds of adultery and say, don't do all these things, you'll put into people's minds things that they had never even thought of. And they'll say, I didn't know there was that kind of adultery. Maybe I'll try that kind of adultery too. So they said, it's better for us not to have a law than to have a law like that because that law, just knowing that something is wrong can sometimes make that thing that is wrong seem more enticing. I'm not sure Adam and Eve would have paid much attention to that tree had they not known that eating from that tree would lead to death. But therein lies the problem. The law is true. God said, if you eat from the tree, you're going to die. Now, Satan said, if you eat from that tree, you will not surely die. And they ate from the tree. And I imagine after they took that first bite, they kind of looked at each other. Look, we didn't die. You say, well, then it's not true. Can I just ask you, have you seen Adam and Eve lately? So they did die, didn't they? 
It did lead to death. The law was true. And God's law is immutable. So when the law says don't do this or it will lead to death, we need to take that seriously. It's not like our our local city government saying, well, there's too much traffic in this neighborhood and and it's dangerous, so we'll put up a stop sign. And they say, well, what do we charge people if they run the stop sign? Well, $100. Well, what if they keep running the stop sign? Well, then we'll raise it to $200 and they can vote on that and they can put a stop sign there. They can't make people stop running the stop sign, but they can at least put something there to remind them what the right thing is. But Dorothy Sayers says the law of God is not like our law of the stop sign. It's more like the law of fire. If you put your hand in fire, it will burn you. Now, if, if the leg- imagine the legislatures of the world voting on that and saying, well, we're tired of fire burning people, so we're just going to pass a law that fire will no longer burn. Okay, good. But pity the person, the first person who says that law is no longer in effect and puts their hand in fire. Because no matter what the legislatures voted... The reality is if you put your hand in that fire, it will burn you. That's the way the law of God is. We don't break God's law, but we sometimes break ourselves over God's law. And that's what Paul was talking about in chapter 7 when he says the things I don't want to do I do and the things I I, I want to do I don't do and then he says who will save me from this body of death what he's saying is sin is killing us and it will kill us if we continue in it and he says I don't want to die so who will deliver me from this wretched man that I am And then he says, thanks be to God, it's already been done through Jesus Christ. Now, here's the interesting thing. When you get into chapter 8, there's not a single imperative in the whole chapter. In other words, it's as if he's saying, once you become a follower of Jesus Christ, it's no longer about keeping laws. It's about the law of living a life of love. And if Jesus bore in his body the sentence of death, which we deserve, do you think, do I think for a moment that he did that so you and I could continue to dabble in sin? Paul answers this question in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He says, um, shall we sin so that more grace can abound? Because there were people in Rome apparently who said, you know, we like to sin and God likes to forgive So the more we sin, the more he gets to forgive. Everybody's happy. And his word to that is, God forbid. In Greek, meganoito, two words, may it never, ever be. I'll put it in our vernacular. Absolutely not. Should I sin more so that God can forgive me more? No, absolutely not. Why? Because Jesus Christ on the cross set me free not only from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. That's why we baptize by immersion and say buried with Christ. Because when you were baptized, symbolically, you died to sin. And when we say raised to live a new life, we really mean that. We mean that people who are followers of Jesus Christ don't live the same way they used to live because who they used to be has died and they have been given a brand new life. And if you were given a brand new life, wouldn't you want to live that life? Wouldn't you want to experience that in all of its abundance? So he says to us, the condemnation is no longer there for those who walk in the Spirit. And we're going to think a lot about the Holy Spirit in the next um, six weeks. I know he's, for some of you, he's your best friend. And so this is going to be a really fun time for you. 
But what I want you to see is he says in the spirit, for those who walk in the spirit, there is no condemnation. Why? Because what the law could not do. I love this. God did. It's like Ephesians where where Paul says, um, for we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, but God had an answer for that. Through Christ, God had an answer for our sin and he bore the condemnation. So maybe, maybe the law condemns us. Maybe we condemn ourselves. Maybe in those hymns that we sing sometimes, our choir sang so beautifully um, that, that, that his grace was for such a wretch as I. Uh, Isaac Watts had that song that said, we used to sing, I remember when I was a kid, for sinners such as I. But that, remember, that's not what Isaac Watts actually wrote. What he actually wrote was, for such a worm as I. And, and you know, all, Dr. Phil and everybody would get involved if we started singing songs like that because, you know, there's just low self-esteem in calling yourself a wretch and a worm. But Paul knew that's who he was. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I am such a wretched man, he says. It's already been done through Jesus Christ. And the good news for people like us, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 Paul, um, John says, I don't want you to sin, but if you do sin, there is an advocate with the Father who became the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. The good news is we can be set free from the penalty of sin. But again, the news is better than that. So if you're familiar with Romans chapter 7, I'm okay with you being familiar with that. I'm familiar with that. Here's what I want to ask us this morning. Let's not become comfortable with that. Let's not say that's that's where my spiritual life is. Things I don't want to do, I do. Things I want to do, I don't do. Surely the death of Christ on the cross means more than that to us. He not only set us free from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. And he envisions us living this life so the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us. It doesn't mean that a person who's accepted Christ is sinless, but it does mean that a person who's accepted Christ sins less because there's an upward progression. It's what the theologians call sanctification. It's been lost on some of us. It's why um, Gordon MacDonald says Baptists can sing Amazing Grace all afternoon and fornicate all night because we don't understand that the same grace that justifies us is the very grace that sanctifies us, is the very grace that will someday glorify us so that we'll bring glory to God for all of eternity. We need to get our theology right because what we believe will inevitably affect the way we live. And what Paul believed was that in cooperation with the Spirit of God, as we walk in the Spirit, our lives would literally, starting right now, right here in this place, be transformed and we would stop sinning the way we used to sin and we would begin to be transformed. Not that we would never sin again, but that daily we would be moving forward and upward in our relationship with God. And we would begin to defeat old strongholds in our lives so that we would live as God intended for us to live. You say, well, where do you see that in the Bible? Well, I I see it in, not only in Romans chapter 8, but I see it in John chapter 8. You know, the Gospel of John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery. I've always wondered where the man was, you know, because people don't usually commit adultery alone. Why is she about to be stoned to death and there's no mention of the man? Well, clearly it's not about her, is it? It's about Jesus. It says in that verse, they're trying to trip Jesus. They're trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, your law is to stone her to death, which, by the way, is a horrible way to die. I mean, 
It's unimaginable to us. But they're going to kill her for committing adultery. And Jesus says, okay, but whoever, whoever has not sinned, throw the first rock. And Jesus, you know, remember he gets down in the sand and he starts writing in the sand. Maybe the Ten Commandments just to remind them of the sins they've committed. And he looks up and they're all gone. It's just him and the woman. At the end of the day, that's where it ends up, isn't it? Just us and God. And he says, where are the ones who condemned you? Same word. Where are the ones who condemned you? They've all gone. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. And then remember what he said? That's not the end of the verse, is it? Go and do what? Sin no more. It's not like, yeah, girls will be girls. (laughs) Boys will be boys. No, no, no. He, He says, the NIV says, leave your life of sin. Here's what I believe. That when the Spirit of God comes to live inside you, God's commands become God's enablings. So when Jesus said, you can go and sin no more, he wasn't just saying, go try harder. What he was saying was, with my help, you will do better. With my grace that has set you free, not only from the penalty, but the power, you don't have to live that way anymore. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's what Jesus did for us on the cross? One of my favorite um, um, musicals is Les Miserables from Victor Hugo's uh, book. Um, there's a movie, and um, in Victor Hugo's book, there's that moment where Jean Valjean is released from prison. He's set free, right? But he can't get a job. He can't find a place to stay. He was put in prison for 20 years for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his family. And he begins to believe the only way he can survive is by continuing in his sin, by stealing some more Nobody will take him in except a very kind priest. The priest brings him in, takes him into the parsonage, we might say, and says, um, eat at my table, sleep in this house. There's a place for you here. But during the night, his past torments him. And Jean Valjean, this criminal, thinks the only way I can get out of this life is to steal again. So he goes into the the dining room area and he begins to steal the silverware and it awakens the priest, the clinking sound and he comes in there and he strikes the priest and knocks him out and, and the priest falls by the wayside and Jean Valjean steals all the silverware and runs for his life. The next day, the priest has a big welt on his head as he's working out in the garden and the gendarme, the police, brings Jean Valjean back and say, we caught him. But the priest knowing this moment would come, looks at the gendarme and Jean Valjean and says, oh, there you are. It's good to see you again. Didn't I tell you to take the candlesticks as well? I told you to take the candlesticks. They were worth 200 francs. You could have taken them. They were worth a a lot of, of money. And he dismisses the gendarme who are perplexed by all of this. And then he, he looks at Jean Valjean. The priest looks at him and says, never forget. With this silver, I have purchased your soul for God. And you have promised me to take this money and become an honest man. And the rest of Les Miserables, as Jean Valjean runs from his past and from Javert, is him 
becoming the man that the priest thought he could be. So when a prostitute dies and leaves him in charge of her daughter, he raises that daughter as his very own. And he becomes the man the priest thought he could become, an honest man. And Jean Valjean's story is my story, is the woman caught in adultery's story. Is this, is this your story? That we who have experienced God's grace spend the rest of our lives becoming who God knows we can be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace that sets us free from the law of sin and death. God, help us to become who you say we can be. And you say we can walk a brand new life. Give us that life, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.